Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today our guest comes from the United Nations, where she is the Assistant Secretary General and one of the two executive coordinators for the next global conference on sustainable development. From sunny Barbados, welcome to the EdCast, Liz Thompson. Thank you very much, Matt. I suppose, Liz, a good place to start would be to get a sense of your work in terms of better understanding global sustainable development and what that actually means. It means protecting our future. It means living in a way that allows those who come after us to still enjoy good social capital, proper natural resources, and to find a way of funding society and economy not just for today, but for tomorrow. Okay, so that's the sort of broader understanding of it. Yes. Specifically at the United Nations, what are some of the measures that you have set up, some of the programs that you do to help those goals be reached? My primary role as an executive coordinator for Rio Plus 20 is advocacy. Um, I am engaged primarily to work at the political level, to work with um, traditional stakeholders in the intergovernmental process, as well as with um, civil society, the business sector, NGOs, uh, academic bodies, to try to build momentum and consensus around the political issues that will be discussed and agreed on in what we think will be the largest global conference to be held in recent times, um, Rio Plus 20 in June of next year. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about Rio Plus 20? Who's going to be there? Uh, what are the topics on the table there? Uh, what are the hopes for the conference? Everybody is coming, literally. Um, Essentially, what we are trying to do is to capitalize, a, to catalyze a movement that supports sustainable development, to renew political commitment globally toward issues relating to sustainable development, to consider what are the challenges that are emerging, whether they are economic, uh, whether they relate to issues like urbanization, whether it has to do with uh, women becoming more marginalized and uh, straightened financial circumstances or in the current global uh, economic um, difficulties. Uh, and. There are two, two broad themes of the conference. The first is the issue of institutional framework. What is the appropriate intellectual, uh, international environmental governance framework to carry the issue of sustainable development? And the second uh, is the green economy in the context of sustainable development and poverty eradication so that the coming out of Rio, once the gavel comes down, what we hope will be part of the legacy is the building of a new global green economy. And this is why the, the outreach is being uh, so extensive. It is critical that we get thinkers on board. It is critical that we get the business sector to appreciate that green economy, that green practices, that greening your business, that looking for green technology uh, isn't just 
the, the, the approach of the philanthropist. It isn't just the approach of those who are environmentalists. It has to do with profit, profit margins. It has to do with securing the, the benefits for your shareholders. Uh, it has to do with the way markets are going to change and respond in the future. So that um, essentially what we are, are attempting to do is to change the way the world does business and the way we look at and behave as part of the market. Part of that change is obviously new programs, new ideas, specifically to education. What do you hope comes from that in terms of new educational initiatives or where's education's piece of that broader pie? Coming from Barbados, um, I think that the, the role that education has played in Barbados's development is, is really a critical one. And therefore, it's something about which I feel very strongly. Every Barbadian is entitled to free education up to tertiary level. And you know, you're talking about a population of 270,000 people. But it is a policy commitment of the government. As a result of that, we have a 98% literacy rate. As a result of that, Barbados, without any um, natural resources to speak of, has become uh, listed in the UN Human Development Index within the top 40 countries in the world. And in addition, is now regarded as a developed country. Now, I say that that has to do with sustainable development. It has to do with the fact that we have used education to develop citizens not only at the in, in, um, individual level, but to ensure that they are in a position to contribute to the growth of, of national capital and that our, our human and social capital is protected. And what um, we are saying at Rio, and I'm using the Barbados example because it's such a powerful one coming from a micro state. Um, what we are saying at, at Rio is that education is a transformative tool and that it, there is a component of sustainable development that has to do with education, with the way in which we approach learning, with ensuring that learning reaches all human beings so that they realize their full potential and are able to build um, society and economy wherever they're from. So coming out of Rio, one of the things for which we are going to be aiming is to try to get universities to teach sustainable development as a core module across all disciplines. If we can achieve that, it means that every university graduate who will then go on to become a civil servant, an artist, a thought leader, a teacher, uh, whether in the school system or the university system, a business leader, Every university graduate has an understanding of what sustainable development means to his or her discipline, to society, to economy, and can put sustainable development practices in place within whatever sphere of activity they're working in. If we can get that done, then the battle is partly won. I'm curious the strategy. This conference sounds like this could change the world, literally. What is the strategy, once you get everyone in the same proverbial room, 
how do you get them to actually take the idea, bring it back to their country, and bring it to scale? The process happens the other way around. It is going to countries now, and that is why you've got executive coordinators. Uh, that is why there is, a, and, and there, the second uh, executive coordinator is a former French minister, Brice Lalonde. Um, there is a conference secretary general, and that is why we're involved in such intense engagement at the global level, not only amongst politicians, but other stakeholders, traditional and non-traditional. And um, what happens is that uh, there is a, a dialogue ongoing now in relation to the conference themes, in relation to the issues, in relation to the objectives. And we are trying to get countries to be ad idem, to be of one mind in relation to their approach. Um, we are going to have a draft negotiating text ready by the 1st uh, of November, and then countries will start to discuss and negotiate that text. And um, hopefully, we will be able to get countries to sign on and sign off on it in June of next year. At the same time, there are parallel tracks that will be ongoing for the business sector. So while we are saying to the business sector, for instance, we want you to commit to greening your business, to sustainable consumption and production, to greening your supply chain, to practicing the three R's, to using green energy, uh, and a number of other activities. At the same time, we are going to be placing language in the uh, negotiating text, which is going to ask governments to create the enabling environment through incentives, tax structures, um, concessions for the business sector to innovate, to, to, to want to invest, to rise to the challenge. So there are a number of parallel activities going on, and we are trying now to get everybody to converge onto the same track so that those who come to Rio in June of next year will come not only to discuss, but to say that we are agreed that this is the way the world will be run after 2012 or from 2012 and beyond. So in a sense, the, the conference has already begun. The conference has already begun. We're part begun. of it That's right beautifully now. Beautifully put, yes. I yes. suppose you're here today at Harvard to interact with students to get ideas from them. Have you already gotten some ideas? I know you just recently got here, but what are some of the ideas amongst students, amongst grad students, in terms of this field? Well, I just got off the plane, so... <laughs> yeah. We'll check back in with yes. you in two hours. Yes, yes, in, in a couple hours. Um, but I'm sure it's going to be very interesting, because part of what I want to talk about is not only the role of education in, in um, the creation of sustainable development, but to consider some of the other factors and how education will impact on them. I'm going to discuss some of the changing trends in education in developed and developing countries and what that means for global development and the, the um, micro and macro trends that are emerging uh, that indicate, well, I don't know if tectonic shifts, but certainly. I, I think our listeners would be interested in some of those trends. What, what are the trends in developing nations? Well, the, the first big trend is, is that the number of people uh, in the United States going to university has decreased. Um, and the number of uh, OECD, uh, students from OECD or developed countries registered in universities is 
far less than those registered in developing countries, even if you were to omit big countries like India. So that in terms of what we thought were the established rules in relation to who accessed tertiary education, that's not so anymore. And um, one of the points that I'm going to make is that we have traditionally thought of certain areas of enterprise as the domain of the developed world. And that too is changing. It is significant in my view, and it's one of the things I'm going to look at in, in my talk this evening, that in 2009, for example, two things happened, and I don't know how many people to pay attention. The richest man in the world was from Mexico. And the largest company in the world with the largest global assets was from China. And 60%, um, if, if you consider, for instance, that, and one of my masters is in oil and gas law, if you consider that energy is critical to development and that oil and gas will continue to play a significant role in what happens uh, as, from the development perspective, when you, if you accept that as a given, when you consider then that the seven largest oil companies in the world um, are now national oil companies as opposed to international oil companies, and that uh, national oil companies now own 60% of all known and proven hydrocarbon reserves in the world, you're talking about a major shift in, in capital and wealth. So, so these are the things that I want to explore in my talk uh, yeah. this evening. They're, they're in for a treat in a few hours. hope so. A couple quick questions in our final closing minutes. What's one thing that America can learn from Barbados in terms of education? Actually, I think that Barbados has, I've watched as a Barbadian, and I'm not speaking here as a UN person, but as a Barbadian citizen, the debate over health care in the United States. Every single Barbadian is entitled to two things at birth, free health care and free education. And it has made all the difference to our development trajectory. I think that that is something that you, the United States could look at and ask itself whether socialized um, socialism or certain aspects of social policy that they um, tend to reject don't really have a valuable role, um, not suggesting that there should be extensive social welfareism that leads to abuse, because we've seen that happen in the United Kingdom. But certainly, if you, if you look at Barbados, if you consider that um, somebody from a country like Barbados could be an assistant secretary general in the UN, um, and, and the, you know, Barbadians have led other international institutions. There has to be some value to, to ensuring that you have an educated citizenry. The, they make better choices. They, they act in ways which, uh, you know, there, there is less conflict in society. There is less violence in society. They act in ways which allow um, social capital and economic capital to be built because they're, they're, they're focused on developing themselves, improving their circumstances, improving the country, innovating, creating competitive advantage. If you educate your citizens, if you ensure that your citizens are healthy, and there is a high cost to not doing it. So 
this is something I think that the U.S. needs to rethink, relook, um, and and perhaps do a little bit differently. So that was you speaking as someone from Barbados. Yes. Now, if you can put your United Nations hat on, this is just a more broader question. What's it like being part of the United Nations, being part of that history, the culture, the, the number of different countries coming together? When you were a little girl in school, is this what you had hoped? Is this what your dream was? And what is it like as a United Nations insider? Actually, as a little girl in school, I first saw myself... Um, sticking stethoscopes on people's chests and then uh, cross-examining people brutally. And I, I, I am a lawyer by training, so I did do what I wanted to. Um, you know, it's absolutely fascinating, it's overwhelming, but most of all, it really is truly rewarding um, because you get to do something that makes a fundamental difference. Uh, even if people don't necessarily recognize it or acknowledge it, you know that you're helping to bring about positive change. And that's a wonderful feeling. Uh, if you go to a country where you see the policies which you have helped to implement or you've worked um, toward or worked with a country in developing, um, you see them implemented, you see the change that results. and. It, it makes a difference to quality of life uh, or to society and economy generally, and um, it's, it's better than money in the bank. Ms. Thompson, we have great hopes for this conference in Rio. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. Thank you for chatting with me, Matt. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.